Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Chamakos Sandu from Toronto in Canada. And we're in the middle of a nice little run of uh, MMA events right now. We had two weeks ago a UFC Fight Night event that flew under the radar and then delivered. This weekend, we had a UFC Fight Night event that flew under the radar and then delivered. And we had the addition of Bellator 263, which delivered arguably the biggest fight in the promotion's history. Big weekend this weekend, Sandu, but you've been uh, you've been up against it. You're struggling a bit right now. How are you doing? I certainly am. I kind of referenced it on last week's show, Simon, that I'd essentially taken Saturday off work because it was my uh, sister-in-law's kid's first birthday. And, you know, because of COVID, you know, the family hasn't really got together on many occasions and everyone started to get double vaccinated and restrictions are easing here in, in Ontario. And so we got together on Saturday and I'll tell you what, I don't know if it's the fact that I haven't really consumed, you know, that much alcohol in one sitting in a very long time or perhaps it's uh, the case of just getting a little bit older or perhaps it's a little bit of both but I'll, I'll say this much I was fully in the recovery position on Sunday and as I talk to you today my friend I am still feeling a little bit ropey I'm not gonna lie <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it does hit you like a truck if you haven't had a beer for a while I've uh I actually got given a box of uh, world beers from uh, from the guys at the Express uh, as like a little leaving present. That lasted about two days. I just ploughed through those in quick order, and uh, yeah, it does. It catches up with you if you have a few a few too quick, and you haven't really had a much of a you haven't haven't really broken yourself in in terms of uh, preloading. It can yeah. it can come back to bite you in the ass, and uh, sounds like you're struggling a bit. So hopefully. This podcast will will lift the spirits, and because uh, we've got we've got a lot to talk about as normal as normal. But let's let's just launch straight in, shall we? UFC Fight Night of the weekend, uh, UFC Vegas thirty three was the uh, the official hashtag, and it was a big fight for the middleweight division for those looking to break their way into the upper echelon. It was Uriah Hall versus Sean Strickland. We talked about it on last week's show. Uriah Hall, the A side of a main event, arguably for the first time. Uh, as a UFC fighter, the he was a B side against Anderson Silva, definitely the A side against Sean Strickland. Big opportunity for him to shine, and he didn't. He got really, really quite cleanly beaten, uh, dominated on the scorecards 50 44 on one card, 50 45 on another card, 49 46. And Sean Strickland, who was ranked 11th uh, in the UFC middleweight list. Uh, compared to Uriah Hall's eighth. He gets the win, uh, unanimous decision victory, and uh, he's going to be moving just a little bit up those UFC rankings. So a big win for him. He's been one of those guys, Sand, who's kind of floated around. He's been around for years, um, and uh, this seems to be the moment that he's making a bit of a run. He took a bit of time away from the sport. He's back, and he's picked up a decent win in a main event against Uriah Hall. Good stuff from Sean Strickland. Yeah, absolutely. This is the best run now. Simon of his UFC career, five wins in a row. This being the biggest win, obviously, main event against Uriah Hall. Former training partners, so perhaps that played into things in terms of how to prepare for him and, and how to execute a game plan. But yeah, completely one-sided. Obviously, I'm looking at, at this based purely on the result. I didn't personally see any of the fights. I saw some clips and bits and pieces on social media, but from what I saw from the rest of the media core, everyone was fairly unanimous in their, I guess, breakdown and um, review of, of how this fight played out, which is, it was very one-sided. And whether it was Uriah Hall not showing up once again, you know, when there was a massive opportunity to take that next step, um, or if it was just the fact that, hey, listen, Simon, he's 37 years old, right? He's not exactly a spring chicken. And if the best opportunities are in his rear view mirror, then perhaps he doesn't have what it takes. Um, and so he'll be going in, in the opposite direction. Sean Strickland, like you said, ranked number 11 heading into this past weekend. He'll break into that top 10, and he's going to be in a very interesting position moving forward. He obviously can deliver the results and deliver the goods, and he's on some fantastic form inside the octagon. But <laughs> I think he's going to be the UFC's worst nightmare when he's got a microphone in front of him because... Uh, He's not exactly, I guess, uh, what mainstream Disney ESPN want uh, in terms of 
you know, what he's talking about. He's talking about, you know, if he wasn't fighting, he'd be cooking meth, you know, and, you know, in a, in a trailer or something. Which, listen, fair play to the man. I mean, if that's the truth, and that's, his, that's him being completely brutally honest in it, and it is what it is, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, very interesting dude, interesting character. I saw some of the uh, the press conference, uh, you know, highlights um, prior to the fight, and I thought, okay, this isn't exactly, I think, what uh, broadcast partners are looking for, or especially social media teams when they're clipping bits and pieces, hyping up a fight. But, hey, listen, Sean Strickland, he is who he is. He's on an incredible win streak. He's just won in a main event, Simon. Uh, so I think he's going to have some pretty big opportunities moving forward in this middleweight division. Yeah, both guys came into the weekend on four-fight win streaks, and it is Sean Strickland coming out of the weekend with that win streak intact. Five in a row for him. Uh, as for Uriah Hall, where does he go from here? I mean, this is a guy who he's been one of these one of these fighters who, when he's on, he's one of the most spectacular strikers in the UFC. When he gets it, when he gets it right, he's he's top draw. But for whatever reason, he just doesn't seem to be able to maintain that consistency and take things right the way to the very top of the division and. With the middleweight division the way it is right now, that was a real opportunity missed for him. And I don't really know quite what happens with him next. What do you think? Well, it's tough, right? It's really tough. I, I, I don't know is the uh, the honest answer. I mean, this was a massive opportunity. If, if anything, turn around as quickly as possible. Get back into the mix. Get a fight booked as soon as you possibly can. Um, he's Like I said, he's 37 years old. You know, he, he is not a spring chicken. Um be on standby, see if there's a fight that perhaps falls out. Obviously, we saw a lot of that happen uh, this past weekend. Maybe plant yourself in Vegas, um, stick around, because that's where all the fight night events are taking place anyway, and, and hopefully an opportunity arises. We know that, and we can talk about this a little bit later on in, in more detail, but we know that the London card is going to be transplanted to, to Vegas now, and that was supposed to be, you know, you know if we're going by reports, headlined by some... Yeah, you know, some middleweight fights. Um, you know, one of which I would imagine would involve Darren Till, right? So you know, middleweight middleweights are in play; they're in action. Um, but I don't know. I'm just not instilled with any confidence with Uriah Hall anymore, Simon. Uh, I think this past weekend was like the biggest litmus test, and he failed, unfortunately. Yeah, and for Sean Strickland, you know, he's going to be looking at people like Darren Till, like Jack Manson. Uh, for his next fight, I would imagine. So uh, interesting to see just what he can do with this opportunity that, that seems to have come to him after a fair few fights in his UFC career. It was a big night as well for women's strawweight, uh, Cheyenne Bays, who defeated Gloria de Paula in the co-main event. First round, one minute knockout, head kick. Um, that in and of itself was a big, a big moment for her. But the thing that really hit home was the way she spoke after the fight and the thing that she, you know, the uh, the thing that she sort of doubled down on in the post-fight press conference. And it really does highlight that unless you're at the real apex of the sport, these guys and girls aren't necessarily getting paid that fantastically well. And uh, Cheyenne basically said that she was completely broke heading into this fight. And she knew that she was going to get 10 and 10, I think she said, for for the fight. So that's 10 grand to show, to turn up and make weight. And 10 grand on top of that if she wins. And she said that money was pretty much already spent. That money was already going to go to training camp and all the rest of it. She'd moved. Uh, I think she said she'd moved to Dallas. Um, and uh, she had to get a loan in order to get somewhere to live. So to get the $50,000 bonus, which is what she was really angling for. And she got it, by the way. Um, that was she described it as life-changing. It gives her a real shot and uh, she's super talented. She hasn't had, uh, hasn't had a, a full run yet in, in the UFC, just taking a quick look at her record. She came through the contender series with a unanimous decision win lost on her octagon debut against Montserrat Ruiz and then bounced back on Saturday against Gloria de Paula. But people who think that, you know, these, these fighters, they're just, well, some people just look at these fighters and think, you know, they're earning good money. They're not, or on, on the face of it, you think $10,000 for one night's work. That's not bad, but it's not one night's work, is it, Sandy? It's like two, three, sometimes four months of preparation and training. And all that has to be paid for. The You know, the training camp does not come for free. So 
Um, that money quite often for these fighters, a large proportion of their paycheck is already already effectively spent by the time they get in the cage. And that's why winning in the UFC is such, such an important thing for these fighters. And that is why we see these fighters on the microphone almost pleading with Dana White to give, give them a post-fight bonus. I know a lot of people, they look at that and go, oh, this is all a bit pathetic, isn't it? And it doesn't look good. It's not a great look, is it, having someone on the microphone begging for a bonus? But this is why. These fighters do not get a huge amount of money until they get to the very top of the sport. Then things start to turn around for them. They, they don't have the opportunity to have sponsors in the cage with them when they're fighting. Um, things like that, that that are available to them in other promotions. So it is hard. And uh, that really sort of shone through the emotion through Cheyenne Bays when, when she picked up the win. And what that meant for her financially, it was, a, it was it was a big, big moment for her. Yeah, that clip went viral on social media. I saw that being shared a hell of a lot. And something else to note that these athletic commissions, or specifically Nevada, they don't disclose the, the fighter pay lists anymore. They used to, but we don't get that information anymore. So the fact that she actually went out of her way to say, hey, I got paid 10 and 10, right? I think everybody was under the assumption that the starting rate for UFC fighters was bumped up to 12 and 12. Um, so that, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, but obviously, it's a you know really sad story you know, that obviously has a bit of a happy ending for her in terms of you know, how much money she's got coming her way. But that's the fight game, unfortunately. You know, it sucks. I know the, you know the UFC and I think a lot of uh, people assume that the UFC is on par with the likes of the other major sports in the world and the other major leagues in North America, the NHL, the NFL, the NBA, et cetera, et cetera. But when you're looking at the roster of fighters compared to athletes of other sports and how much they get paid and some of the opportunities they have in terms of sponsors and bits and pieces, it's not even comparable, man. It's not even comparable. And like you said, you only start to make the real big money in this sport when you start to climb the ranks and you know, you're on your perhaps second or third UFC contract, your main eventing fight nights, you're in title contention, or you become a champion and you get pay-per-view points. And then when you get to that kind of, I guess, status in the UFC, then maybe you can leverage that outside of the sport. And maybe you've got a social media following where brands and companies want to collab with you and partner with you and sponsor you and and if you've got a good management team maybe they can you know be really resourceful and you know get deals done outside of the the fight game to generate other forms of revenue for you but unfortunately for the vast majority of fighters and that includes guys and girls that are in the ufc on the regional circuit cage warriors lfa cffc you name it bellator they're not making that much money because like you said, Simon, they only fight maybe a handful of times a year. But outside of that, they're putting in camps, coaches, they're, you know, trying to get the, the right nutrition and supplements and gear and equipment. And, you know, because to be the very best, it requires you to perhaps be a full-time fighter, a full-time athlete in terms of your training. It's hard to also keep, you know, a, a really well-paid full-time job down. So some of these guys and girls are you know, working part-time here and there to make ends meet. And um, I think a lot of the hardcore fans and the smart fans get it and understand and know what's going on. And we all want these fighters to pay, uh, to get paid rather, a lot more than they are getting paid right now. But unfortunately, it's, it's not nothing we can do. We can talk about it, which we do. And a lot of members of the media talk about it all the time. But ultimately, it's going to be up to the fighters um, that are, you know, going to be able to make some changes and, that's going to require an association or a union. I don't know what the, the best way or the right answer to all of that is. Uh, that's definitely above my pay grade. But, you know, there's always going to be a recycling of fighters as well. So even if there's a, a batch of fighters that want to come together, you know, give it, give it a few years and they'll probably be cut from the UFC or, you know, there'll be a new batch of like hungry. There's always going to be somebody that wants your spot, Simon. All, there's, all, there's always going to be a hungry 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old, 21-year-old fighter that will gladly take 10 and 10 if somebody else isn't interested yeah. or 12 and 12 or whatever the case is. So a bit of a vicious cycle there. Um, obviously, it's uh, not nice, but it's brutal. That's the fight game. And, and that's part and parcel of what we cover. We have someone like Conor McGregor who can leverage everything on one end of the scale, you know, who's like 
you know, one of the richest men and richest athletes in the world. Um, number one, the Forbes list. And then right on the other end of the scale, you've got a story like Cheyenne Bays. Absolutely. And uh, the good thing for Cheyenne is she's got the win. She's got the bonus. Hopefully she can put down the roots that she needs to build her career from here in the women's strawweight division. Someone else who was perhaps a little bit unlucky not to get a bonus was Jared Gooden. Uh, he picked up his first win as a UFC fighter um, on the main card. He'd previously been beaten on the scorecards by Alan Jaban and Abubakar Namagomedov on UFC pay-per-view cards. This time he's on the main card of a fight night card at the Apex. 68 second knockout of Nicholas Stoltz. He is off and running in the UFC as well. Uh, Melsic Bagdasarian, uh, he did get a bonus for his TKO win over Colin Anglin. That was pretty special. Second round, uh, one minute 50. And then the opening bout of the main card, which I have yet to see all of um, for reasons that I'll explain to you in a minute. Um, Jason Witt versus Brian Barberena. Brian Barberena is always in good fights. He's just one of those fighters. Um, he's, he just goes in there and just always seems to always seems to produce all action fights. He was in another one this weekend. He came out on the losing end of a majority decision. Jason Witt getting a nod. Uh, the first judge scored at 28-28, even 29-27 and 29-28. They both earned $50,000 for fight of the night. But uh, Sandu, yeah, I know you didn't get to see uh, that fight night, but I was working covering another event while that fight was on. But one thing I did see on my timeline were people commenting, saying how much this fight card is delivering, how much excitement it's delivering. That main card was outstanding. I've seen very, very edited sort of highlights of everything. I need to sit down and watch that main card in full um, because while that was on, I was covering the events happening uh, in Inglewood, California. The forum, the fabulous forum, or the LA forum, if you want to call it that, played host to Bellator. 263 arguably the biggest fight that they've they've had uh if it wasn't the biggest then it's certainly one of patricio pitbull versus aj mckee for literally all the marbles in bellator's featherweight division the featherweight world title was on the line the featherweight grand prix tournament title was on the line and a winner's check for a cool one million dollars was also on the line as was aj mckee's undefeated record and Patricio Pitbull's status as Bellator's GOAT. All of that was in the mix when those two stepped into the cage at the end of a really entertaining night of fight, Sandu. And uh, I know you managed to catch up on that fight. I covered that fight live. And I went into it, and I thought so I was trying to work out who I thought would win this fight going in. And watching the highlights and the build-up content, my thought going in was that Patricio is very compact. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He's not very wild. And then you've got AJ McKee, who is a wild man. He will throw stuff that, you know, the rule book says you shouldn't throw, but he makes it work. He connects and he, he you know, but he leaves himself open. And I thought, mm, I wonder whether he might pay for some of his, some of his open openness when he goes into this. Not so, not at all. I mean, there was very cagey for the first, First 30 to 45 seconds or so, they traded a few leg kicks. And then McKee hit uh, Pitbull with a left high kick to the head that stunned him. He stepped into striking range. It's pretty much the first time he stepped into punching range was after he had him wobbled. Started unloading some shots, dropped him with an uppercut, and then went for the walk-off, didn't he? He put both his arms in the air, and Pitbull bounced straight back up. And I was like, uh-oh. But then McKee did something else. That I thought, what are you doing? I just thought, keep punching the guy. He's clearly scrambled. But instead, he went for the neck, grabbed the neck, locked up a guillotine choke, which of all of the, the regularly seen submissions, the guillotine the guillotine choke is arguably the riskiest because quite often you end up on your back with, with the guy on top of you if it doesn't go well for you. And also, you can burn your arms out really quick if, if for some reason you haven't quite got it. Um, and then, especially so early in a round as well, you, he could have left himself in a lot of trouble, but he saw his chance. He snatched the neck. He applied the pressure. Pitbull did not tap. Both his arms went limp. Great refereeing by Mike Beltran, um, who stepped in straight away, stopped the fight. We have a new champion. He's 18-0. All his fights in Bellator. If you, if you could draw up Bellator's perfect poster boy champion, 
he'd look like AJ McKee. And that's what they've got right now. Absolutely huge win for him. And with all respect to Patricio Pitbull, who's still the lightweight champion, I think it's a huge win for Bellator as well. Yeah, Simon, he is the face of the promotion now, I think, in my opinion. He is homegrown. Every single fight he's had has been with Bellator. He's young. He's in his mid-20s. He's undefeated. He's the Grand Prix champ champion. He's the, the Bellator featherweight champion. He beat. He, we obviously know now that he is at that very elite level, especially with that performance against Pitbull. And it's very rare for Bellator to steal the thunder from a, a combat sports weekend that involves a UFC fight night card. But I think if we're being honest and being fair, going into this weekend, that was the one fight that was on top of the list of, of anything that was involving combat sports this week. And it was a fight that everybody was most looking forward to. And if I'm being honest, it's the fight that delivered the goods. You know, it was a star making performance from AJ McKee, you know, and the way he kind of handled himself in, uh, in, in the post-fight press conference and the post-fight interview, he's talking about trying to get super fights made. And, you know, he's throwing names out there like Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway. And look, we know that the UFC are never going to play ball. We know that, you know, they're never going to co-promote. They have they have no need to. There's no desire to. They're, that's, they're never going to do a, a UFC Bellator co-promotion. But just the fact that people and fans can start to have a debate now and a, and a genuine conversation with who the best featherweight in the world is, and you have to include AJ McKee's name in that conversation, it's great for him. It's great for Bellator. You know, that's that as a as a competitor, as a as another promotion, the fight game, that's exactly what you want to see. You want to see your champions compared to the champions of other promotions. And he called out one championship in PFL. And maybe those are the organizations that can perhaps do some co-promotion with Bellator. Maybe you can go around other organizations and be a bit of a belt collector. We obviously know that Scott Coker and Bellator have had a great relationship with Risen. Um, so that door is potentially open to promotions not named the UFC. But for the time being... Just have to applaud AJ McKee. You know, I think he's just ticks every single box, doesn't he? Like I said, young, undefeated, champion, second generation fighter. He's with a great management organization. Bellator are completely behind him. I think it's time to strap the rocket boosters on this kid, get him out there, do tons of media, and um, almost be a bit of a show pony for the for the organization because he is fantastic. He's great on the mic. He handles himself well in front of the media. Like I said, he ticks all the boxes. And I'm genuinely really excited now moving forward. When there's an AJ McKee fight booked, mark that on your calendar as must-see TV. Yeah, absolutely. And you take a look at how he went through that tournament, Sandu. Georgie Karakanyan, knockout, eight seconds. Derek Campos was the one who really tested him, dragged him into deep waters, went into the third round, but he beats Derek Campos by armbar. Darian Caldwell, former bantamweight champion, neck cranks him with a submission of the year uh, candidate. One minute, 11 seconds. Then Patricio Pitbull chokes him out. One minute, 57 seconds. He beat three of the four guys on that list in a combined three minutes, 16 seconds. So Campos, the only one who got out of the, well, the only one who got out of the second minute with AJ McKee in that featherweight Grand Prix tournament. And uh, yeah, he's just getting better and better. And, you know, you're right about the UFC are never going to entertain a cross promotion because why would they? Because you ask most casual MMA fans who the best featherweight in the world is, and they will give you the name of the UFC featherweight champion. In most cases, Alexander Volkanovsky, because the UFC are the dominant brand in the sport and he is their champion. So, what what is there to be gained for the UFC in putting their their champion at risk uh, against someone like AJ McKee or anybody else for that matter? If it's done within the bounds of a UFC sanctioned event, um, then you, it's a different thing altogether. Um, but Bellator, likewise, aren't just going to let AJ McKee pitch up and uh, be a UFC fighter for a day. So, you know, um, is, this is this is one of those things where. For some, it can be frustrating. For me, I just think it's good news because it gives me echoes back to when the Pride Fighting Championships were at their pomp 
and it was a case of who is the best heavyweight in the world you know Fedor was running things over there in Japan just dominant and take just destroying everybody and uh for a while we had Randy Couture was the UFC heavyweight champion uh in the UFC and that was a matchup that was talked about for years and never never came to be unfortunately and you know obviously we're long past that now but but to have that debate, while frustrating that you would never get a conclusion to it, it was good to have the debate. It's good to ha- be able to talk and, and actually have a have a legitimate argument about who might be the best, which fighting organization might be the best. Now, at the moment, the UFC have, are the dominant force in mixed martial arts in terms of the promotional side of things. Does that mean they have all of the world's best fighters? No, it doesn't. That doesn't that, that, it doesn't work like that. You know, there, there are some outstanding fighters in Bellator who would be outstanding fighters and quite probably quite possibly champions in the UFC. So, and, and top of that list is AJ McKee. So I don't think we're ever going to see it, but I think McKee is doing absolutely the right thing to, uh, to say what he said. And Scott Coker is doing the absolute right thing to say what he said, because he's kind of playing my house money. He knows he can say, yeah, he's, you know, we're more than happy to co-promote with the UFC because he knows damn well, Dana White's not going to turn around and say, yes, because if he goes in there with Alexander Volkanovsky and Volkanovsky hands AJ McKee's ass to him uh, for five five-minute rounds, just grinds on him for five rounds and dominates him, what does that do to Scott Coker's champion and he's all his luster, you know? And for what? You know, do you know what I mean? And, and for the UFC, same thing. What if McKee goes in there and completely dusts Volkanovsky inside a round like he's doing with everybody at the minute? What does that say about the UFC's featherweight division? So... We know the UFC's featherweight division is outstanding. We also know that Bellator's featherweight division is brilliant because they've put on this tournament, 60-man tournament. We've seen some great fights, some great finishes. We got the we got the final that we hoped for, which is a, a minor miracle because tournaments normally all go peak tongue at some point. Injuries, suspensions, uh, substitute fighters. You know, Daniel Cormier was a substitute fighter. Uh, in the Strike Force Grand Prix back in the day, that that was his the start of his stardom. You know, he wasn't even supposed to be in a tournament. He came in as a super sub, and you know, look look where he is now, legend. So these things happen. These things happen. But AJ McKee is an absolute superstar, and the only fight to make now, Sandu, is the rematch at 155 pounds. That fight needs to be run back with the lightweight belt on the line. Let's see. If Patricio Pitbull can get revenge, let's see if AJ McKee can become a champ champ and uh, dethrone Patricio Pitbull twice in two fights. That would be quite some story. That would be quite some story. But um, yeah, I thought it was a great event. The whole event, Sandu, was brilliant. Um, as you know, I, I was up and watched all of it. Co-main event was a belter. Mads Burnell, former uh, Cage Warriors featherweight champion against Emmanuel Sanchez, is a two-time uh, title challenger um, against Patricio Pitbull and uh, Sanchez looked really really good early on uh, Mads Burnell looked like he'd given up head movement for Lent he was just getting pinged constantly through the first round Burnell then turned it around came back used his grappling he got a big win Usman Nurmagomedov got a win again he looks like the real deal Islam Mamadov another one out of that camp he got a win and Goichi Yamauchi, who walks out to Joe Esposito's You're the Best Around from Karate Kid, he got a knockout. He's known for submissions, knocks out Chris Gonzalez and gets himself a knockout. The whole event, Sandu, was superb. It was a load of fun. Yeah, and I think, like I said, going out of this event, the, the big question and the, and the big debate was who is the best featherweight in the world, right? And I feel like why not have that conversation right now? We've obviously got... It. Alexander Volkanovsky, who is the current UFC featherweight champion, he will be fighting the number one contender, Brian Ortega, very, very soon. You've got AJ McKee, who is the Bellator featherweight champion. And then you've got what many feel like is the uncrowned king, the former UFC featherweight champion in Max Holloway. And I know there's featherweight champions in other organizations, but I feel like those are the lads that are really in the mix and in and in the conversation if you're going to have a debate in terms of the level of competition, their record, their skill set, their ability, and their status in their respective organization. So I'm going to throw this one to you, Simon, first. Who 
would you say is the best featherweight in the world as of right now? This might be ever so slightly controversial. I don't think it is. I think Max Holloway. He's, he's, he's the one guy you mentioned that doesn't have a belt. But for me, I think he's the best 145-pound fighter on the planet. I think he's got it all. I think AJ McKee, I think he's outstanding. And I think potentially he could be the best. I think Alexander Volkanovsky is definitely like the hardest nosed, if you like. You know, he's 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 his fighting style is quite different. He's just very, 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 very hard to beat. Very hard to beat. He's got supreme cardio. He's got a little bit of everything. But I think I think if you put if you match them all and, and you know you saw each individual matchup, I think Max Holloway is the best all-around fighter at 145 pounds. And if you could fantasy match make and you could make, you know, and all, if all the promoters said, right, let's just have, let's all have a promotional day off. Let's just put all the best fighters in. What's the best 145-pound fight, fight you can make? With all respect and apologies to Alexander Volkanovsky, Max Holloway versus AJ McKee is the fight to make. I think that is the most exciting fight you can make at 145 pounds. I think that would be a whole load of fun. But having said all of that about AJ McKee and all the rest of it, I think AJ McKee versus Yair Rodriguez would be a lot of fun. I think AJ McKee versus the Korean Zombie would be a lot of fun. Um, so I just think that I just think that when he's when he's on on his absolute A game, I don't think there's a featherweight in the world who can touch Max Holloway. And I say that knowing that Alexander Volkanovsky has officially beaten him twice. Even though I disagreed with one of the decisions, that's how the that's 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 how the record book shows. So, but for me, yeah, give me Max. I think I think he's the best forty five in the world. And the crazy thing, Simon, is Max Holloway is coming off a win over Calvin Cater earlier this year, which I think most people would agree is the best performance of his entire career. It was that damn good. Yeah, and I agree with you, Simon. I think it's Max Holloway. It's crazy to say that. We're picking someone that isn't currently a champion in either Bellator or the UFC. But, you know, I, I, I concur with pretty much everything you said, especially um, his most recent, um, you know, controversial decision loss to Alexander Volkanovsky. And, man, it would be just a mouth-watering prospect if we could get AJ McKee versus Max Holloway. Um, it doesn't seem like that's going to be something that's going to happen anytime soon. So it's something that we'll have to just kind of uh, noodle on for for quite some time. Yeah, it's, it's a funny old world, and it's a, it's a the fight game can be very unpredictable. So never say never. But I do see Max Holloway becoming featherweight champion in the UFC once again. Um, whether he gets a, a shot um, at the winner of Brian Ortega Volkanovski next, or whether he has to fight one more time, obviously results will determine that. Because if Ortega wins that's a shoe-in for Max Holloway to jump in right away. But um, I think this is a fun debate. This is kind of like that barbershop talk, isn't it? It's like, yeah. uh, I think we see it more in the boxing world where, you know, there's respective champions of all of these various associations. We don't really see that conversation come up that often in mixed martial arts because I think for the most part, and even right now, I think if you're looking at all the, the champions and if you're going to list the best in every single weight class, Nine times out of ten, you're picking the UFC champion. Um, but I think featherweight is an interesting situation right now where you could pick Volkanovski, got no issue with that. You can pick Max Holloway, got no issue with that. And you know what? If you wanted to pick AJ McKee, I've got no problem with that either because he's got something that the other guys don't have. He's undefeated. You know, He's undefeated. And not only has he won through a Grand Prix, but... He's beat someone in Pitbull that people were kind of touting as Bellator's goat. You yeah. know? And he um, should be in that list. He should be in that list. You know, you put Pitbull yeah. in with those guys, you've got a hell of a fight. You know, just because he lost that one, that doesn't mean he's chopped liver now. You know, he is yeah. he's still one of the elite 45ers on the planet. And the one there is one way that this could actually happen. There's been much talk and it's bubbling under the behind the scenes about the Aliat. Um, and if that Aliat gets passed. I think that then potentially opens up a fighter's uh, employment options. That basically means that I don't necessarily think they can be exclusively contracted, like or I don't think they're that you know they can be restricted. 
in, in that regard. So then what you could do, you could have an organization, whether it be Bellator, whether it be Rising, whether it be one championship or whether it be just some insanely rich benefactor who just wants to do this, um, stump up a ton of money and saying, we're doing New Year's Eve in Saitama and we are inviting the champions from every major organization and we're going to do a tournament. Um, now, that is not possible right now with the way fighters' contracts are, are, are done. But if those contracts are subsequently ruled to be uh, unlawful moving forward um, and fighters then have the ability to jump promotions, so you could have a UFC fighter challenging for the better, you know, for the Bellator title. You could, and then the onus is on the fighter rather than on the on the promotion. It'd be much more like a boxing model then. That would cause absolute chaos uh, in 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 the uh, the overall scheme of things in terms of the way the sport is structured, and it would just be like playing a board game and throwing everything up in the air. It would just be it would be mad. It'd be very interesting, but it'd be absolutely crazy. Um, I think that's the only scenario by 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 which this even becomes feasible. Um, some promotions don't mind it. You know, we've seen Bellator and, and Rising co-promote. One championship have said they've been willing to co-promote if it was the UFC. Uh, but maybe they change their tune because they know the UFC aren't going to play ball. Maybe they, you know, maybe they could talk to to Bellator. Who knows? Um, but yeah, there's so many good fighters at 45. We've talked about 55 ad nauseum for for years now ever since we started doing this podcast years ago um saying how talented the 155 pound division is across the board featherweight is like that bantamweight is like that we've now got the depth in all these weight classes and uh it's a lot of fun to see and it means that promotions like bellator even if you don't think that the guys at the top of the bellator divisions are as good as the champions in the ufc these guys are world class and can certainly compete with you know with their equivalents in the UFC. So um yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how AJ McKee does. Um and what and what he does. I'd love to see him have a run at 55 and, and see if he could do sort of repeat the feat at 55. But um yeah, I I'd say I'd say McKee's in the top three at 45 right now for sure. And that was the other little wrinkle that came out of this past weekend's Bellator event, wasn't it? And it was AJ McKee basically saying this might have been his last featherweight fight. It all depends on what's kind of, you know, on the table moving forward. He's talked, and again, the fact that he's a second generation fighter, Simon, he is so smart and intelligent for his age. And yeah. he's talked about, you know, the long-term effects of, of, of weight cutting and he's thinking about his long-term health. And he said that he would have already, already pulled the trigger on moving to lightweight by now, had it not been for COVID, had it not been for the opportunity of the, of the, the featherweight Grand Prix. And, you know, I think the next fight to make should be a rematch against Pitbull at 55. If he wins that, Simon, can you imagine the image of him holding three belts? You've got the Grand Prix featherweight belt. You've got the, the Bellator featherweight championship, the lightweight championship. You want to talk about Triple C and champ champ status and all the rest of it being undefeated? My goodness, that would be epic. And then if he becomes champion at lightweight, then I, I don't think there's any reason. Almost like Conor McGregor in many ways. You know, it's like, all right, you, you beat the best. Yeah, it's, it's so remarkable how similar those storylines are. Like, arguably the, the greatest fighter Bellator's ever had, champ champ status, a Brazilian. You finish him in, in, in within two minutes in, in stylish fashion. And now you jump up to to, to lightweight to, to challenge for that championship belt. Man, this AJ McKee story is so fascinating. And the fact that he's only 26 and, and he's undefeated just makes it so much more interesting in terms of what happens next. And I think a lot of people um, that perhaps only watched the UFC but saw the, the traction this event and this fight was getting last week are now going to be on that AJ McKee bandwagon. I think they're going to start to follow his story a little bit more and they're going to start to pay attention to when he fights. And that's only a good thing for him. And that's only a good thing for Bellator as well. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing which I think can't be underestimated if you're Bellator is he's homegrown. Every mm -hmm. single one of his 18 wins and 18 career fights took place inside the Bellator cage. That is huge vindication for the way that they've built his career, the way that they've moved him up. And, it's been spoken many times that when it comes to signing top talent on the way up, 
Bellator have always been kind of considered to be having to having well not 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 being the second second cousin so to speak but the UFC are the big name yeah the UFC are the big name people train and get involved in the sport because they want to be a UFC champion I don't know how many grow up thinking I want to be a Bellator champion but the thing that Bellator can do and that they've now got a track record of doing is taking people early on people that have got proven athletic ability possibly in other sports who are just starting to make their first steps in, in MMA. And rather than let them go through the regional scene and cut their teeth on the regional shows, Bellator is snapping these, these, these guys and girls up early and building them through their undercards. And we've seen it with, uh, with, with Tyrell Fortune. He, he's moving his way up as a heavyweight. We've seen it, Michael, Michael Venom Page, Obviously, he had he had uh, all of his UK experience, but they've done the same sort of thing with him. They've been criticised for the way they've booked him at times. James Gallagher has been given that sort of treatment as well. There's a clear model here, and AJ McKee has has, has been there from fight number one, which is incredible to see. Aaron Pico is another great example. They kind of gave him a little bit too much too early because he looked so good so early. They didn't do that with AJ McKee. They grew him gradually and steadily until he was ready, and then boom, now look what they've got. Undefeated Grand Prix champion, world champion, $1 million champion. So this is this is vindication for how Scott Coker goes about his business, and uh, I think he deserves an awful amount of credit for the way that this has all gone um, and uh, for being brave enough to book a tournament and not force these two into opposite sides of the draw because this could have gone any way, any way at all. When they had that selection show – after the first round of fights, that threw everything in the air. The fighters had the chance to pick which fight they wanted to go in. AJ McKee got the very first pick, so he didn't know who he was going to get. He just said, I'll be in the first fight. Let's see who wants to fight me. And uh, Pitbull got the last pick. And because he had the last pick, he had the option of choosing either the remaining slot or any other fight that he wanted because he was the champ. He could have picked anybody. And he picked uh, Pedro Carvalho. Um, but the man standing on the stage waving a little frying pan around saying, pick me, was AJ McKee. He wanted. He called out Pitbull after his first fight in Bellator. Said, I want to fight that guy. 17 fights later, knocks him out. Or sorry, uh, submits him. Champion of the world. Amazing story. Amazing story. Um, and uh, looking forward to seeing what happens with uh, Bellator for the rest of the year. They're really hitting their stride now, and it's, it's really good to see. And uh, the UFC... Don't seem to have ever broken stride. And they've got a huge pay-per-view this weekend, Sandu. UFC 265. It's been it's been sort of plagued a little bit. We've had some fights pull out. It was supposed to be a two-title fight uh, main card. Amanda Nunes was supposed to be taking on Juliana Pena in the co-main event. Um, unfortunately, Amanda, uh, her wife Nina, and their young baby Reagan all tested positive for COVID. Um, and uh, I understand that they are convalescing and they're now are now in full recovery now. I think they might be all clean all, all, all clear now. But obviously that fight's off the card. They're going to rebook that for further down the line. But the main event, the two big dudes are going to be getting getting their hands dirty in the octagon. Derek Lewis, Cyril Gunn for the interim heavyweight championship. We'll talk about why we've got an interim belt in a minute, Sandu. But as a matchup, what do you make of it? It's great. It's fantastic. Uh, I feel like if Derek Lewis wins, it will just further vindicate his opportunity to fight for the title, even though I think, you know, it was already a bit of a shoe in that he should have been fighting Francis Ngannou for the undisputed UFC heavyweight championship. You know, he's on a fantastic four fight win streak. And oh, by the way, he does hold a win over Francis Ngannou, although that was a a bit of a forgettable, boring affair. Um, and for Cyril Gunn, I mean, talk about a young phenom coming up the ranks. He's 9-0. He's undefeated. Three wins by knockout. Three wins by submission. Three wins by decision. Kind of like the a bit of a, the, the MMA version of the perfect hat trick there. Um, and, um, you know, he's got this opportunity maybe a little bit early. Maybe not. I don't know. It's kind of hard to say, hard to say at this stage. Um, because obviously Derek Lewis has got so much more experience than Cyril Garn. But Cyril Garn 
is coming out of the MMA factory out there in Paris, France, a former training partner of Francis Ngannou. Uh, Francis Ngannou's former, I guess, coach, mentor, and manager is now um, bringing up Cyril Ghan. So that's a fascinating storyline there. We obviously have talked about the prospect of the explosion of MMA in France and Cyril Ghan could potentially be the poster boy, especially when the, the world opens up again and the UFC bringing a, a big event to to France, whether that be in Paris or elsewhere. Um, and yeah, talk about the fast track, right, Simon? I mean, Cyril Ghan literally joined the UFC, had his first fight in August of 2019. And literally two years later, he is fighting for an interim UFC heavyweight championship insane i think the only fighter in ufc heavyweight history who's perhaps you know i guess been fast-tracked to uh, a championship opportunity was brock lesnar uh in terms of how many fights he had and he got right into the ufc and he was thrown right into the to the mix and became a ufc champion so very quickly there but um this is quite phenomenal to see cyril garn get this opportunity and we know that these two guys can deliver some big knockouts. Derek Lewis, I think, is going to have a lot of pressure, um, even though I, I feel like he comes across fairly blasé um, during fight week. It's in his hometown, Simon. It's in Houston, Texas. He is the main event. And, you know, he knows that if he loses this, that the idea of fighting Francis Ngannou for the, the Undisputed Heavyweight Championship could blow up into smithereens. So, um, yeah, obviously... Don't like the idea that this is for an interim heavyweight championship, but I do love the matchup. Yeah, it's 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 a fascinating matchup. The fact it's an interim belt is ludicrous, right? Let's be honest, it's absolutely nuts. Um, and the fact it was billed above an Amanda Nunes title defense is equally mad as well. That's obviously irrelevant at this point, um, because uh, Nunes, of course, has, has been ruled out through uh. Medical reasons. But yeah, Derek, Derek Lewis has deserved a shot at the belt. The only reason for him to not be fighting for the undisputed title is if they book the John Jones-Francis Ngannou fight. They didn't book the John Jones-Francis Ngannou fight. So why are we not seeing Derek Lewis versus Francis Ngannou? That's what I don't get. Um, and uh, clearly there's some something going on. There's something going on behind the scenes, um, whether it be negotiations have, have fallen down with, with, with Francis or, or, or whatever it is. They clearly wanted Derek in the main event in Houston. That's an absolute no brainer. The roof will come off that building on Saturday night when the black beast makes his walk to the cage. It's going to be absolutely brilliant. I cannot wait to see it. And uh, it's going to, I don't know how good this fight's going to be. Uh, this is, this is, this is maybe slightly controversial to say, because it could be absolutely brilliant. And we could be talking about, wow, what an incredible, incredible interim title fight we were treated to this fight i worry about i'll be honest with you from a stylistic point of view it worries me cyril gan is not a, an all-action heavyweight fighter he's very cerebral he picks and chooses his moments he keeps his distance he moves in and out um keeps himself out of danger Derek lewis will move forward but he he's he kind of lets people walk onto him and then he explodes we could have a similar, you know, you mentioned the fight with Francis Ngannou and Derek Lewis. Um, I was cage shy for that and it was an absolute rotter. It really wasn't a good fight at all. Uh, Derek Lewis won it by virtue of the fact that he probably landed one punch more than Francis Ngannou did. That was probably the, the you know, the, the major difference in the fight. But that fight really did not get started because they were both quite standoffish. I could see a repeat and I, 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 I hate myself for saying this. This one might not be a pretty one. Um, unless Lewis decides to just go gangbusters and just go at him. Um, this could be this could be five rounds of hoping something's gonna happen. Um and waiting to see if something will. So but it's an interesting one. You mentioned about Garn, you know, he's not had he's not had that much experience in the Octagon. This is gonna be his seventh fight in the UFC. But he's been in there with Junior Dos Santos and he's finished him. He's gone the distance of one of the biggest knockout artists in the division in Jarzino Rosenstreich. That that one win there will give him immense confidence against Derek Lewis because Rosenstreich is a is a very heavy hitter. Derek Lewis is a very heavy hitter. I would argue that Rosenstreich uh, is a bit more technical than Derek, um, 
but they can both bang. And uh, for Cyril Gunn to to negotiate five rounds in a main event with Jarzinho, that's uh, I think that's that's very very helpful for him. And then doing the same against Alexander Volkov, who is a volume striker, um, and and looking looking pretty solid against him without really being spectacular. He hasn't taken too many risks in his last two fights, so Sandu. I think he might have to against Derek Lewis if he wants to get it done on Saturday night. And that's going to be the big question. Is he prepared to walk into Derek Lewis's striking range? And if he does, would he get out of it alive? <laughs> because Derek Lewis has got the most knockouts in UFC heavyweight history with 12. He's got 25 career wins. 20 of those 25 wins have come by the big KO. So um, it's going to be a fascinating match. Give us a pick, Sandu. Who's your money on? Oh, wow. This is really difficult, Simon. I'm not going to lie because, because obviously Derek Lewis is on is the man in form. I feel like this recent run is when he's really put everything together. You know, he's patient. He's strategic. He's not just guns blazing. Obviously, he's a big guy. He's obviously got knockout power. Pretty much every heavyweight does. But there's also something very you know, interesting about Cyril Garn's approach. He seems so bloody confident. <laughs> You know, when he's when he's going about his business in the octagon for someone that's only had nine fights. It's like he doesn't seem phased by the moment, you know, when things are playing out, especially in, in recent fights um, against the likes of Rosenstruck, who's obviously got knockout power, Volkov, who's got tons of experience. I thought, wow, he's just not phased by the moment whatsoever. And I actually like the fact that his last couple of fights, Simon, Against Volkov and Gone, they were both fight night main events and they went the distance. And we were able to see him actually go the full 25 minutes with, you know, a lot of ease and comfort. And I feel like that's the strategy that could play out here. You know, the fact that he's been able to go 25 minutes, the fact that we know that Derek Lewis, you know, especially if we're able to take him down, um, his gas tank isn't exactly the best. Uh, among the other heavyweights, I think I'm going to just slightly lean towards a Cyril gone either late stoppage or perhaps a decision. So that's my pick. I'm going to go Cyril gone interim heavyweight champion and setting up an incredible talk about hot. You, know, you can't script this stuff in Hollywood. An incredible future matchup with former training partner Francis Ngannou. Blimey, who'd want to be a, a fly on uh, Fernand Lopez's wall if that happens? Uh, former coach of uh, Francis Ngannou and current coach of Cyril Gunn. Now, that's the smart bet, right? Betting on Cyril Gunn to get this done late, possibly on the scorecards. That is the smart bet. No one has ever called me smart. So I'm going to go with Derek Lewis, right? I'm going to go with Derek Lewis, and I'll tell you for why. Cyril Gunn is, is having said everything that we've said, I don't know whether he can go 25 minutes without getting without getting clipped. And while we've seen Cyril, I mean, Cyril Gunn is super confident, as you say. He's got 13-0 kickboxing record as well, by the way, um, albeit not at the very, very, very highest level of heavyweight kickboxing. It is a 13-0 kickboxing record. So, um, But I just think that Derek Lewis on home soil with 10 to 15,000 screaming Houston nutcases just roaring him on. I can't see a scenario unless Garn goes really pragmatic and just wrestles him for five rounds, which could happen. Um, but that in, in, in itself is dangerous. Just, you know, ask Curtis blaze about that. Um, so I just, I can't, I can't see him getting through this fight without being clipped. And then it's a case of what's your money on Garn's chin or Lewis's power. I'm going to go with Lewis's power because I don't think there's a chin in the UFC heavyweight division that can take Derek Lewis's punches. So uh, for that reason, and he's the underdog going into this fight, or at least he was last time I checked. Um, I'm going to have to write a Paddy Power preview probably tomorrow for this fight. But last time I checked, I think he was a narrow underdog, Derek Lewis. And I think if you want a little bit of value, Derek Lewis by knockout, I would think would be not a bad little bet. I think you'll probably get two, two to one, three to one on that. Um, I think that'll be decent odds. So give me, give me the black beast. And as someone who's been fortunate enough to cover his, you know, a, a fair amount of his UFC career, um, he, he kindly invited a couple, uh, a few of us to go watch him train in Vegas. 
uh, ahead of that Francis Ngannou fight, funnily enough. Um, and uh, we spent some time with him in, in Croatia. He fought over there. He's hilarious. He's he's legitimately hilarious. He's a lovely guy, very softly spoken, but very, very funny. And uh, it would, you know, he is, he's, a, and he does so much good in his community as well. You know, you probably remember some of the stuff he's done in Houston in the past with, with all the flooding and everything um, and all that sort of stuff. I remember he, he rescued a guy in, uh, in Houston um, from his truck and his truck had a Confederate flag on in, in, in the back and he rescued his, his, his wife, this, this guy and his wife and the guy wanted to go back and get his Confederate flag. And the woman's like, what is wrong with you? What are you doing? There's this massive black dude wants to rescue you. And Derek was like, it's all cool. Just go get it. And then takes them all back because he had a, a massive four by four truck he's got. But um, yeah, you know, he's a, he's an absolute animal in the cage, but he's got a heart of gold and he's a, he's a top man. So I would, I would be very pleased for him on a personal level if he gets it done. Uh, but Cyril Gunn as a European, that would be a huge thing for European MMA. Um, if he goes and wins the heavyweight title and who knows, you know, I mean, it isn't going to be anytime soon the way the, things are going right now with the covid pandemic but could you imagine Ngannou versus Gan in paris could you imagine that the ufc's first event in paris would bringing you the heavyweight championship of the world whoa that would that that would just be that would be off the charts i suspect it will take place in vegas or new york but um imagine that that would be quite something but that's gonna that's that's what's at stake here that is what is at stake um and uh It'll be really, really interesting to see how that one pans out stylistically. Uh, let's not spend too long ripping through the whole of the card because I'm, I'm aware we've been on for a while already. But co-main event as it stands, I assume this is how it's gonna how it's gonna pan out. Former featherweight champion Jose Aldo taking on Pedro Munoz at bantamweight. Um, that could be a really good fight, Sandu. You know, two guys, both of whom love to stand and trade, and uh, to me, that's just got absolute slugfest written all over it. I think that could be a really good one. Yeah, obviously two guys not in the best form heading into this contest, but obviously two guys that are still two of the absolute best in the world, especially um, at Bantamweight. I personally still would love to see Jose Alders not cut the uh, the extra 10 pounds. He looks like a skeleton during fight week. And yeah, um, let's see if he continues to stay at 135 pounds. But if I'm being honest, Simon, the fight I am most looking forward to outside of that main event is Michael Chiesa versus Vicente Luque. My word, what a fantastic fight at welterweight. Vicente Luque coming in on a three-fight win streak. Nico Price, Randy Brown, and Tyron Woodley. But for me, Michael Chiesa is kind of like the best-kept secret you know, in that welterweight division right now because he has started to put it together. Since returning to welterweight, he has put together a four-fight win streak. Carlos Condit, Diego Sanchez, Rafael Dos Anjos, and Neil Magny. If he wins and he gets a win over Vicente Luque this weekend, he is going to be right there up in the mix in that welterweight division. He's already ranked at number five. I can see him maybe perhaps swapping places with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who's currently ranked at number four. But he's going to be knocking on the door. And the fact that we've got a welterweight title fight booked for November, he's his next fight after this, should he win, could be a title eliminator. That's how uh, big of a fight this is and a massive opportunity for Michael Kidd. And honestly, fair play to him because he's winning fights. He's calling out um, future opponents. He's getting those opponents. He's obviously, you know, in the good graces of the UFC. He's getting tons of opportunities on the broadcast and, and what have you. And, um, you know, he's someone we, we've talked about this in the past where, Maybe the ultimate fighter right now in 2021 isn't the most watched product that the UFC offers, just given how many other products they have uh, in their inventory. But to see someone like Michael Chiesa still come from that ultimate fighter background, um, you know, change weight classes, have some ups and downs, but ultimately put it all together uh, and putting himself in a situation where he's maybe a couple of fights away from fighting for the title, I think that's a fantastic story. Yeah, and you mentioned the change in the weight classes. That has been absolutely crucial for him. He moved up uh, at the end of 2018, beat Carlos Condit, and hasn't lost since. You know, four in a row, Condit, Sanchez, Dos Anjos, and Magni, as you say, and and he's in the right weight class for him now. You know, before he was killing himself to get to 55, he's a big, rangy guy. Even at 70, he's, he's, he's quite big. So 
Um, but taking on Vicente Luque, Luque has lost one of his last 10. That's that's the kind of form he's in. And that was a decision loss to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. If you go to the scorecards against Wonderboy, the chances are you, 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 you know, you're probably going to get beat. That's just the way it is. But he's got six or five performance bonuses in his last seven fights, which is madness. He always brings the excitement. He always brings the action. Um, his win over Tyron Woodley last time out. Woodley looked really good in that fight. I was, you know, Woodley had been a little bit, a little bit out of sorts ever since he lost his belt. But in the start of that fight, I thought Woodley looked as good as we've seen him since he lost his title. Looked really sharp, really aggressive. Thought, oh, okay, Tyron's back. And yet, Vicente Luque managed to uh, turn the tables on him, uh, rocked him, and then submitted him with a bravo choke at UFC 260. So that is going to be an absolutely superb fight at 170 pounds. You mentioned Chiesa, best kept secret in the division. Vicente Luque, I think, is one big win from being a contender. And he has he's kind of been there for a while. And uh, I think this is the one. If he can beat Michael Chiesa, I think he's kind of next next in line after they've sorted out that log jam at the top of the 170 pound division, which is probably going to take six months or so to deal with in fairness. But if it isn't to be Vicente Luque, it will be Michael Chiesa. So uh, that's a really interesting one. Who are you picking Chiesa? I'm going to pick Chiesa, Simon. Yeah. I feel like there's something about him on this recent run of form and listen, could Vicente Luque win? Absolutely. Cause you just mentioned the only loss in his last 10 fights is against Steven wonder by Thompson. So I would not be surprised whatsoever if he does pick up the win here. But I am slightly leaning towards Michael Chiesa. I don't know what it is, uh, but I'm, it's just the read that I'm getting. Um, I feel like there's something about him mentally that he's just kind of so focused and it, he, everything's coming into fruition. Everything that he's talking about, you know, he's delivering the goods. And so that's why I'm picking him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'll be honest. I'm leaning more towards Vicente Luque just because I just think that if uh, Michael Chiesa's best chance of winning his fight is to just walk through the punches, get hold of him, drag him to the mat, and then he's in Chiesa town, right? And if that happens, I mean, Luke's pretty solid on the mat. I think he's a BJJ brown belt, but Chiesa is just so good on the mat. If he goes to the mat, forget about it. Michael Chiesa wins the fight. But if Ped, if if, uh, if, if Vicente Luque keeps it standing, I think he lights up Michael Chiesa like a Christmas tree. So I think the skill discrepancy is wider in the stand-up than it is on the ground. Although I do think that Michael Chiesa is clearly the better grappler. So it's it's going to be really interesting. It's, if you stay standing, it's Luke's fight to lose. If it's uh, if it goes to the mat, then uh, it is definitely advantage to Maverick. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that. That's a proper proper stylistic uh, stylistic clash. That one, you know, striker versus grappler. Good strawweight bout. Uh, we'll precede that. Tisha Torres versus Angela Hill. That will just be two strawweight women fighters throwing an insane amount of strikes for 15 minutes to see who gets their hand raised. That could even break some sort of, well, I was going to say it might break a strawweight record, but I don't know if it will because Yuani and Jacek has probably got most of those records nicely or, you know, nicely tucked away already, but that will be an absolute banger. And uh, the bantamweight fight that opens the main card, uh, Song Yudong versus Casey Kenny, that should be pretty decent as well. And you've got Bobby Green against Hafal Fiziv heading up the, uh, Heading up the prelims, and Fiziv is one of my favourite, one of my favourite uh, fighters. He he's so good to watch. Head striking coach at Tiger Muay Thai, and uh, he he kind of got a little bit of social media love. I think was it was it the Dickasey fight where he did that whole Matrix thing where he was sort of leant back and Dickasey missed him by inches with a with a spectacular head kick. He just sort of leant back out of the way of it, um, and against Bobby Green, who always brings it. That is going to be a hell of a fight. That really is going to be good. Karolina Kavalkovic versus uh, Jessica Penne is on that card as well. Manel Cap, former rising champion, is on the early prelims as well. There's a load of good fights on this card. I know we haven't, you know, we haven't got all of the fights that were originally originally booked. This is still going to be a decent, a decent card. I'm looking forward to it. I am looking forward to Simon, but I have to add the caveat of just what we went through last week with so many cancellations yeah. um, due to COVID. Fingers crossed, things work out. This is going to be in Houston, so they're going to be on the road. Don't know what the situation is like in Houston, but if Vegas is anything to go by, it's going to be one of those. It could be one of those up and down weeks. Um, and God forbid, 
you know the main something happens to that main event because it could be an absolute disaster because i think they were banking on having the opportunity to advertise two title fights one being an interim but with no title fights oof, it could be a little bit tough so fingers crossed everything goes well everyone stays healthy everyone stays covid free and uh, we get as many of these fights that are currently scheduled uh, on saturday night yeah they've lost their safety net already haven't they with the uh with the other title fight already falling through. So keep them crossed this week, ladies and gents. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed. Everything, everything stays intact for fight night on Saturday, because if it does, it should be in for a decent night. Sandu, I think that might be pretty much all we've got. Yeah. Uh, for those of you that want to support the show, the best thing to do is go to our website, which is the BritPackMMA.com. That's the BritPackMMA.com. From there, you can find, me and all my social media platforms, Simon's social media handles. You can find uh, the Britpack social media handles. And we're available on Spotify. We're available on Apple Podcasts. If you do listen to us on Apple Podcasts, the way that platform works is the more ratings and the more reviews you get, that then you know helps Apple figure out which shows to promote. So the only way the show can grow on Apple is to get more ratings and more reviews. So if you've got some time, literally takes 30 seconds, and you enjoy the show and you want to support me and Simon, that is the best way of doing it if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts. And finally, we are available on YouTube. Uh, video is coming soon. I know we've been talking about this for many, many months, but the show is still available right now as an audio-only product. Uh, so if you enjoy listening to podcasts on YouTube, on one of your um, you know, Chrome or web browser tabs in the background, then go ahead, find us on YouTube and subscribe to the channel. Um, because we are going to be going to video very, very soon. Great stuff. Big, big fight with two big, big men in the main event this weekend. Derek Lewis versus Cyril Gunn and the Brit Pack will be back next week. Let's talk about it all. Have a good one. Yeah.